Well, good morning. We're going to carry on with the Bhavana Krama uh, by Kamala Shila. This is the stages of meditation. We're on chapter 9, Actualizing Special Insight, Vipassana. After realizing calm-abiding, meditate on special insight, thinking as follows. All the teachings of the Buddha are perfect teachings, and they directly or indirectly reveal and lead to suchness with utmost clarity. If you understand suchness, you will be free of all the nets of wrong views, just as darkness is dispelled when light appears. Mere calm abiding meditation cannot purify pristine awareness, nor can it eliminate the darkness of obscurations. When I meditate properly on suchness with wisdom, pristine awareness will be purified. Only with wisdom can I realize suchness. Only with wisdom can I effectively eradicate obscurations. Therefore, engaging in calm abiding meditation, I shall search for suchness with wisdom, and I shall not remain content with calm abiding alone. Mm. What is suchness like? It is the nature of all phenomena that ultimately they are empty of the self of persons and the self of phenomena. This is realized through the perfection of wisdom and not otherwise. The unraveling of the thought sutra reads, O Tathagata, by which perfection do bodhisattvas apprehend the identitylessness of phenomena? Avilo Kiteswara, it is apprehended by the perfection of wisdom. Therefore, meditate on wisdom while engaging in calm abiding. Yogis should analyze in the following manner. A person is not observed as separate from the mental and physical aggregates, the elements and sense powers. Nor is a person of the nature of the aggregates and so forth, because the aggregates and so forth have the entity of being many and impermanent. Others have imputed the person as permanent and single. The person as phenomenon cannot exist except as one or many, because there is no other way of existing. Therefore, we must conclude that the assertion of the worldly I and mind and mine is wholly mistaken. Meditation on the selflessness of phenomena should also be done in the following manner. Phenomena, in short, are included under the five aggregates, the twelve sources of perception, and the eighteen elements. The physical aspects of the aggregates, sources of perception, and elements are, in the ultimate sense, nothing other than aspects of the mind. This is because when they are all broken into subtle particles, and the nature of the parts of these subtle particles is individually examined, no definite identity can be found. In the ultimate sense, the mind too cannot be real. How can the mind that apprehends only the false nature of the physical form and so forth and appears in various aspects be real? Just as physical forms and so forth are false, 
since the mind does not exist separately from physical forms and so forth, which are false, it too is false, just as physical forms and so forth possess various aspects and their identities are neither one nor many. Similarly, since the mind is not different from them, its identity too is neither one nor many. Therefore, the mind by nature is like an illusion. Analyze that, just like the mind, the nature of all phenomena, too, is like an illusion. In this way, when the identity of the mind is specifically examined by wisdom, in the ultimate sense, it is perceived neither within nor without. It is also not perceived in the absence of both, neither the mind of the past nor that of the future, nor that of the present, is perceived. When the mind is born, it comes from nowhere. And when it ceases, it goes nowhere, because it is inapprehensible, undemonstrable, and non-physical. If you ask, what is the entity of that which is inapprehensible, undemonstrable, and non-physical, the heap of jewels states, O Kashapa, when the mind is thoroughly sought, it cannot be found. What is not found cannot be perceived, and what is not perceived is neither past nor future nor present. Through such analysis, the beginning of the mind is ultimately not seen, the end of the mind is ultimately not seen, and the middle of the mind is ultimately not seen. All phenomena should be understood as lacking an end and a middle. Just as the mind does not have an end or a middle, with the knowledge that the mind is without an end or a middle, no identity of the mind is perceived. What is thoroughly realized by the mind, too, is realized as being empty. By realizing that, the very identity which is established as the aspect of the mind, like the identity of physical form and so forth, is also ultimately not perceived. In this way, when the person does not ultimately see the identity of all phenomena through wisdom, he will not analyze whether physical form is permanent or impermanent, empty or not empty, contaminated or not contaminated, produced or non-produced, existent or non-existent, just as physical form is not examined, similarly, feeling, recognition, uh, compositional factors, and consciousness are not examined. When the object does not exist, its characteristics also cannot exist. So how can they be examined? In this way, when the person does not firmly apprehend the entity of a thing as ultimately existing, having investigated it with wisdom, the practitioner engages in non-conceptual, single-pointed concentration. And thus, the identitylessness of all phenomena is realized. Those who do not meditate with wisdom by analyzing the entity of things specifically, but merely meditate on the elimination of mental activity, cannot avert conceptual thoughts, and also cannot realize identitylessness because they lack the light of wisdom. If the fire of consciousness, knowing phenomena as they are, is produced from individual analysis of suchness, then 
Like the fire produced by rubbing wood, it will burn the wood of conceptual thought. The Buddha has spoken in this way. The Cloud of Jewels also states, One skilled in discerning the faults engages in the yoga of meditation on emptiness in order to get rid of all conceptual elaborations. Such a person, due to his repeated meditation on emptiness, when he thoroughly searches for the object and the identity of the object, which delights the mind and distracts it, realizes them to be empty. When that very mind is also examined, it is realized to be empty. When the identity of what is realized by the mind is thoroughly sought, this too is realized as empty. Realizing in this way, one enters into the yoga of signlessness. This shows that only those who have engaged in complete analysis can enter into the yoga of signlessness. It has been explained very clearly that though mere elimination of mental activity without examining the identity of things with wisdom is not possible to engage in non-conceptual meditation. It is not possible. It has been explained very clearly that through mere elimination of mental activity without examining the identity of things with wisdom, it is not possible to engage in non-conceptual meditation. Thus, concentration is done after the actual identity of things like physical form and so forth has been perfectly analyzed with wisdom, and not by concentrating on physical form and so forth. Concentration is also not done by abiding between this world and the world beyond because physical forms and so forth are not perceived. It is thus called the non-abiding concentration. Such a practitioner is then called a meditator of supreme wisdom, because by specifically examining the identity of all things with wisdom, he has perceived nothing. This is as stated in the Space Treasure Sutra and the Jewel in the Crown Sutra and so forth. In this way, by entering into the suchness of the selflessness of persons and phenomena, you are free from concepts and analysis because there is nothing to be thoroughly examined and observed. You are free from expression, and with single-pointed mental engagement, you automatically enter into meditation without exertion. Thus, you, are ver you very clearly meditate on suchness and abide in it. While abiding in that meditation, the continuity of the mind should not be distracted. When the mind is distracted to external objects due to attachment and so forth, such distraction should be noted. Quickly pacify the distraction by meditating on the repulsive aspects of such objects and swiftly replace the mind, uh, swiftly replace the mind on suchness. If the mind appears to be declined, disinclined to do that, reflecting on the advantages of single-pointed concentration, meditate with delight. The disinclination should be pacified by also seeing the defects of distraction. If the function of the mind becomes unclear and starts sinking, or when there is a risk of its sinking due to being overpowered by mental torpor or sleep, then, as before, quickly attempt to overcome such dullness by focusing the mind on supremely delightful things. Then the object 
suchness should be held in very tight focus. At times when the mind is observed by the excited or tempted to become Okay, at times when the mind is observed to be excited or tempted to become distracted by the memory of past events of laughter and play, then as in the earlier cases, pacify the distraction by reflecting on such things as impermanence and so forth, which will help subdue the mind, then again endeavor to engage the mind on suchness without applying counter-forces. If and when the mind spontaneously engages in meditation on suchness, free of sinking and mental agitation, it should be left naturally, and your effort should be relaxed. If effort is applied when the mind is in meditative equipose, it will distract the mind. But if effort is not applied when the mind becomes dull, it will become like a blind man due to extreme dullness, and you will not achieve special insight. So when the mind becomes dull, apply effort, and when in absorption, effort should be relaxed. When meditating on special insight, excessive wisdom is generated and calm abiding is weak. The mind will waver like a butter lamp in the wind and you will not perceive suchness very clearly. Therefore, at that time, meditate on calm abiding. When calm abiding meditation becomes excessive, meditate on wisdom.